0: You're tuned in to the Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupertin. This week on the show, the final episode of our 2019 season. You guys, we made it—52 artists and counting—and I thank you so much for listening and sharing this music with your friends and your family. It's fitting that we end the year as we lurch towards the capitalistic cataclysm we call Christmas with an Oklahoma-born artist who may have recorded what I believe will one day be regarded as the greatest original Christmas album of the modern era. Sorry, Mariah. His name is J.D. McPherson, and his game is what I'm gonna call an intellectual rockabilly rave that has one toe tapping in Memphis's Sun Studios with the ghost of a young Elvis before the bloat, complete with pomaded pompadour and loose-limbed jumpy joyousness hovering above his shoulder, and another toe in an art school punk rock basement band that always keeps a kind smile primed behind the snarl. As you can probably hear, my voice is a bit shot tonight, and why not? I finally finished my last show of the year and it has been a crazy year, 120 or so days on the road in eight countries playing half-empty warehouses with breathing dragons on the stage and air hockey tables in the basement, playing rain-soaked festivals in wine country with 7,000 pumping fists and howling souls in front of me, recording a new record that is beyond my capacity or comprehension, and questioning every day how I could possibly keep doing this and pay the rent on time. But also, how could I not do this? How could I not play that brand new freight train duet in the middle of the dance floor as the fog claws the green hills above Santa Cruz on Sunday and realize It's almost always worth it, and possibly will always be worth it despite the struggle. And maybe there will always be this confusion, this mix of gratitude and fear, questioning and hoping and hoping and hoping for something better coming over the horizon. This is what it's really like when you make your music your life it's your wife and your mistress in one, for better or worse, till death do you part. And while J.D. McPherson probably never dreamed he would become the new rock and roll king of Christmas while in art school or while making palpably pleasurable vintage vibed rock records like Signs and Signifiers, Let the Good Times Roll, and Undivided Heart and Soul, it's that unexpectedly brilliant Christmas collection, Socks, that truly made me fall in love with his sound and his band, for real. Because I don't even like Christmas music. And I love these songs. His songs his sound. And seeing it live the other night, it just sunk me deeper in. We talked in the podcast nook at the Mayfair Hotel before his show, and if you hear folks hollering, it's just his fans getting a little sauced before heading across the taco plate-strewn street to the show. Stick around, as always, to the end of the episode where JD plays an intimate acoustic version of Ugly Sweater Blues, and he shares his Christmas wish with us. And I wish the same thing, really. Even if you don't have the time or the money or the courage, go see the world, even a little part of it, right now. Don't wait. Even venturing a hundred miles down the road from your little isolated island will change your perspective. You can change your perspective. You can change your whole life. I think that's quite enough of me going on and on. This is the last episode of the 2019 season. Please keep sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. It means a lot to me and there will be more coming in a few weeks, in 2020. Without further ado, here he is now, J.D. McPherson.
1: Santa, how could you let me down? It doesn't slip or slide or spring or make a sound that rocks. Hey, why'd you stuff my stock in with a lousy pair of socks? <laughs>
0: know, your bus broke down, but you still made it here, and I'm super glad.
2: Thanks. We only all, we all were in the uh, 10 minutes late, even. Like, we, we had all... I mean, she takes some Ubers the, from um, San Diego? We, we had a sprinter come get us, but what we had to do is that because the bus broke down in the very narrow alley behind the belly up in Solana Beach, Yeah. Um, we, the, the band and then, like, maybe five or six other people from nearby businesses had to pick up the trailer. We had to empty out the trailer, pick up the trailer and move it over three feet so that we could get a U-Haul truck in there to get it. Despite all of that, we still made it um, within 10 minutes of load-in time. So cheers to the tour management.
0: Well done. You're uh, a little far from home, right? hmm
2: yeah, I'm pretty far, I live in Nashville.
0: And you're originally from uh, Oklahoma?
2: Yeah, from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I was raised in southeast Oklahoma, but uh, spent, mo- I mean, long enough that I could say I'm from Broken Arrow.
0: Is Broken Arrow in Buffalo Valley or is it is mm-hmm. Buffalo Valley a separate thing?
2: No, Buffalo Valley is where I grew up. Yeah. That was my where my folks ranch is. Right. And um, I was born in Tulsa and Broken Arrow is a suburb of Tulsa. Right. So after college, I moved to Tulsa.
0: Feels like there's a lot of really amazing roots artists coming out of Oklahoma. A lot of my favorites, you know, uh, you know, Parker Millsap and yep. uh,
2: John Morland mm-hmm. and John Fulbrights from there. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, there's always been a lot of like, kind of a wellspring of talent out of Oklahoma, um, but like the last few years is when they decided to start going and visiting other states. Cause, yeah. uh when I was when I was growing up there, there was a ton of amazing musicians and artists but they didn't leave Oklahoma they just didn't maybe play Texas enough,
0: here and there is enough of a scene
2: no they just I don't know what it is I really can't explain they either moved away yeah or they just stayed and played once in a while um, but there was like a little crop a few years ago that started touring and getting out and seeing the world a little bit so I was uh I know all of those folks that you mentioned and there's they're like incredible people. We toured with John Moreland before we couldn't, you know, have him as an opener anymore. Yeah. And uh, that was really, really cool. That was a really good run. And Parker's, I mean, I know Parker really well. Uh, Fulbright has kind of made his bed in Tulsa, though. He's, st- he's staying there. He bought a house in the Brady District. and
0: I got to think the cost of living is just right down there
2: it is really nice man it is uh it is very doable
0: one bedroom apartment like in a good part of Tulsa what do you think
2: under a thousand for sure like if it's a pretty good pretty good one um well I mean like in Nashville a a six or seven hundred thousand dollar house is about a hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars in Tulsa so that haven't rented in a while, so I couldn't tell you the exact rent number, but yeah, the cost of living in Tulsa is much better.
0: I first heard of you, uh, actually, when we played um, a festival together uh, with my band Dust Bowl Revival. I don't think you and I talked, but I was struck by you immediately at this uh, like American Roots Festival in Chicago. at a, Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: The one at uh, um, Fitzgerald's. Fitzgerald's in Berwyn. Yeah, yeah.
0: and I was just sort of transfixed watching you because it felt like getting to see Elvis before the schlock, (laughs) you know, like when it was real, like down home and dirty Uh and, and just the Sun Records sound, you know? Yeah. I mean, did you always play in a certain sort of vintage style that you wanted to emulate and then make your own? Or was it something that came organically?
2: No, um, because I was all over the map into what I listened to growing up, because um, I was totally isolated um, from any anything resembling any kind of scene or whatever you want to call it. So I was I was listening to Bauhaus, Slayer, and Madonna simultaneously. Like yeah. there was no uh, yeah. you know there wasn't anybody to tell me that yeah I couldn't listen to anything. But like you know um, I was maybe I'm not really sure where it came from, but approaching music in kind of a historical context was a big deal to me um, finding out that you know Jimmy Page was into Dwayne Eddy mm. I was like well I want to know you know I want to yeah. know who Dwayne Eddy is that kind of an idea really didn't seem like a big stretch to me Like yeah. most musicians worth some salt really don't see um, time time spans or decades produced to be any sort of inhibitor on whether or not you're interested in listening to it right? you know I mean it's just crazy to me to think that because Kind of Blue was recorded a few decades ago that that's not a relevant record it's insane to me so that was always a thing even as a kid that never really I never really saw a distinction between rock and roll in the 70s and rock and roll in the 50s except for sonically It, it still had kind of the same attitude was the most important thing and um, I was just always more interested in sonics than I was um, when when something was produced. Yeah, kind of hard to explain that because I know obviously there's a difference but um, it, it didn't really ever jar, it wasn't ever jarring to listen to one thing next to something else right. that came later and, and feel like they needed to be separated.
0: Well I think like you know American Roots music for me should encompass a wider range of what we think of just, like, you know, folkies playing acoustic guitars. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, all the way from blues and gospel music f- from the South going into hip-hop, you know, like, that is a uniquely American-rooted music. Yeah, you know? It's like sure our is. art form, you know? And I think, you know, you have a, a lot of contrasts, you know, in your history going from you know working on your family's cattle ranch mm-hmm. to getting you know getting a master's degree you know at Tulsa University in in media and doing you know art installations and <laughs> so i mean you know that's a that's two huge different worlds yeah
2: all of that, again, all of that stuff was more, it was more just about, like, uh, creative production. I, yeah. I, because I would take off, I would be in art school, and I'd take off for two weeks to do a tour. Right. And it didn't, I didn't understand why they would get upset when I came back. Yeah. Like, what? where were you? Well, I was doing stuff. Yeah. I don't know, I know that's ridiculous, but at the time, planning and, and making a tour happen wasn't, Something that seemed out of step with what the curriculum was offering. I don't know. I never. I didn't expect to get in trouble. Yeah, I'm
0: out making art.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, it was. It was just one of those things where um, creative production was all kind of the same thing. I was. I always had bands since I was 16. Even, even when I was in grad school, I was, I was making. What music was your first again. band called? First band was called Slippy, which was named after um, the frog. Character in Star Fox which was uh, the new uh, Super Nintendo entertainment system came out and we were so stoked about Star Wars or not Star Wars but Star Fox because it was a three it looked like kind of polygon yeah. 3D and that was a big deal for Buffalo Valley, Oklahoma we didn't have like uh, too many arcades to visit so um, that name came from uh, that and then it was kind of me and one other friend had that band going, and we had a Tascam four track. We made tapes records albums there, and then uh another friend wanted to be involved, so we started another band with the same members that was called the fjords that was like kind of more influenced by um hardcore hardcore music like uh, Black Flag and yeah angry samoans um so we had, like, three bands at the same time, same members, but they were different styles and different that's names. That's interesting, yeah. You got no audience, you got nobody to play with, that's what you got to do, so. Did you, at a certain
0: point, feel like the music was taking over your heart and soul?
2: Yeah, I always tried to make that, that was always a priority. I think it was just more of the immediacy, immediacy of it was why I wanted to do that, um more so the art world is kind of a drag
0: <laughs> yeah
2: you know um there's not a ton of joie de vivre in that world and it's a lot of talking about things instead of action yeah and um the tyranny of the artist statement like if you make a work and you just if you have it available for yeah. public viewing there's like this there's this agreement that you're going to explain that and hang it on the wall and it mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense and then I don't know, just playing gigs on the weekend was so much more of a fulfilling thing. I don't know, I there was a point where I sort of realized that there was a path I was on that was going to lead me more and more into the music side of things than keep making uh I,
0: I want to talk about your, speaking of art, your album covers for a second, uh-huh. right? Because listening to your records, it feels like there's this interesting through line of... Uh, an underlying ominous storm brewing underneath this sort of dance party in the parlor. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. And there's these themes that I'm seeing of like the roof being blown off. Mm -hmm. The thunder. People have to be careful and beware and watch out. Yeah. But also let's let the good times roll in the meantime. But like watch your back the whole time.
2: Well, that's that's the danger
0: um, that's always lurking, almost behind your songs.
2: I would say that being in, in high school, uh, David Lynch movies were a huge um, influence on me. Um, me too. That was really that was a really big deal when I found some of that. It almost like my part of my brain turned on that hadn't been there before. I was really into movies, and I had I would watch anything I could get my hands on, which was tough. Uh, where I lived but um, once I saw Blue Velvet that was like oh my god because it was a version of the 50s that was like perverted into this almost like uh, Francis Bacon expressionist painting where there's like bleeding heads and severed ears and the, but, an- like, the ants crawling across the yeah, screen right it's uh, that 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 kind of did something so there was always that um, kind of uh, Thing was going to end up being in there I think I never really thought about that till. well
0: till and my... Lynch takes a lot of 50s music specifically yeah. in Mulholland Drive and sort of rips off the sort of smile mm-hmm. so you have to be like what tortured soul is behind this grinning blonde beauty yeah, that's and dancing I, around on your television I think he screen?
2: uses a lot of it as juxtaposition too where he'll take the kind of naive he'll take the super naive kind of lyrical stuff that sort of pop right. schmaltz and then put that up against some really horrifying imagery right so he'll do he'll plays with a lot of that stuff and you know just his whole thing is he's well was Mel Brooks called him Jimmy Stewart from Mars so he's like his whole thing is kind of based in that kind of old Hollywood um, kind of classic style
0: um, did you ever see his website that he had for a few years I was a member
2: of that website when I was in college yeah he would he would actually pop up on there once in a while and talk in all capital letters.
0: What was the thing he did where he would just say the weather and what was happening that day?
2: With yeah, like that a was like a, that was an ongoing that was an ongoing project where just every day he would report the weather from his office. Yeah. And almost every day it was just you know, it's bright and sunny today in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. By golly, or some cloud cover, you know, real yeah. just real straight, every day the same and then one day he'd show up and he'd have this like sculpture yeah. of like a rabbit head on his head and yeah. smoke coming out of the screen, and that was the weather report for the day. So yeah. sometimes it, uh, he'd throw you a curveball. If one
0: song of yours could be placed in a David Lynch movie, which one do you think
2: would fit? Probably, it would probably be A Gentle Awakening off Dude, the first record.
1: Dude, she just going to say that? Yeah,
2: yeah. A Mournful
0: Serenade. Yeah. Farmers on the Plains, Waking in a Lucid Dream. Did that song come from your rural upbringing and sort of the the tensions that come from an That's, isolated life? Well, that
2: song just sort of sort of wrote itself. I wasn't thinking too much. I mean, it's obviously a kind of a apocalyptic, at least like a conceptually apocalyptic um, setup. But, uh, the music came first on that and then when I started like, uh, I think I wrote most of the lyrics the night before and it just kind of stream of consciousness happened that way. And um, yeah, I never really thought too much about, about that one, uh, but it definitely, I mean, we ended up shooting a video. That's my, uh, that's where I grew up. And so maybe even subconsciously that, that's in there somewhere.
1: The farmers on the plain all walking in a lucid dream while the sky is set up aflay They so will hear a quiet tune so peaceful and serre then they may soon may easily a gentle lightning. Yeah, I mean
0: that image of the sky set aflame, mm-hmm. you know, and in on one hand it could be just a, a beautiful sunset over the farm, mm-hmm. but it seems like, yeah, especially knowing what we know now about <laughs> here in California, with the sky is often aflame. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, this end of days element creeping in, and I'm, I'm curious what you think
2: the end of days would look like if it comes in your lifetime oh end of days huh well i if there is an end of days it's just going to be a really long painful process <laughs> i don't think a end of days is going to be a everybody's like oh i should have yeah it, it's going to be a more of a long painful rip of the band-aid i hate to be i mean <laughs> i just i just think it's going to get if, if there is an end of days i don't know if it would be in our lifetime but uh yeah, it's going to be, there's going to be a point where people realize that there's already been something kind of brewing, and it. it's going to keep going that way. It's <laughs> so dark. Sorry. Did you grow up religious? Yeah, well, I mean, I, my parents are both preachers, so I, wow. I grew up in church. I learned to play music pretty much in church. Pentecostal? Um, Post-Pentecostal. It was a non-denominational. My mother was the minister. Um, how was that power
0: dynamic between
2: your parents? They were really cool. Well, like, my dad didn't really want me to be into rock music. Uh, he was into jazz, though. I remember one time I showed up with a Jimi Hendrix take, and for some reason I thought my dad would like that, and he didn't. Um, he just said, Do you have any idea how he died? You know? Yeah. And I'm like, Well, do you know how. I mean, you listen, you're listening to John Coltrane. Yeah. You know, like Charlie Parker. I, yeah. There's no, uh, there's not, I don't know. I, I fail to see the difference between those two things, but whatever. So it was, uh, it was that was the thing. But my mom was always cool with everything. She always made sure I had a working amplifier. And I remember one time, um, my little punk band in high school played at this public amphitheater that we signed up for in McAllister, Oklahoma. And, um, we started within ten minutes. Cops showed up to shut it down, and my mom was there and introduced herself as the pastor of the Word Life Church in Bechet, Oklahoma. And she asked them to wait yeah, around. Yeah, to let a, to let us play. You know, she's like, "Well, at least I know where my kids are." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're doing something constructive. It shouldn't make them stop. So that was that was my life. It, my I didn't really see any. Um, I was encouraged heavily to to kind of do what I was doing. It was cool. That's
0: awesome. I mean, it would be remiss of me, since this is the last episode of our Christmas season, mm-hmm. to not dive a little bit into Socks, which I think is the most insanely enjoyable Christmas album in the last man. 20 you. years. You know, there's Mariah, and uh-huh. there's J.D. McPherson Socks. Yeah,
2: let's get those
0: sales up to Mariah level, and we'll, we'll be all right. My wife got me the vinyl for Christmas uh-huh. last year. It has been pretty much on loop even not in Christmas
2: time that's good that's um, well we were when we were making the record it Mm was we were kind of going for to issue some of the things that are normally in uh, Christmas material like sleigh bells and things like that to where we have actually heard a couple of uh, sound scan reports report like sales of that record will be happening in like May, June which is great I mean, I love it, it. <laughs> it is unnecessarily
0: enjoyable. <laughs> right. Like good. it is, like it's no. There's no reason for it to be as good as it is. Like well, it feels. Like honestly, like I could listen to it, and I do listen to it at times. It it's in the rotation of the rest of the year because there's a a snark and a mm-hmm. a darkness to it. Honestly, the title track is sort of I think examining the idea of expectations. Yeah. and disappointment and that the christmas season often brings this expectation that we're gonna kind of finally get whatever everything we want and our family's all gonna be together and really that's not
2: how it usually is well know? there's You're gonna uh, get socks it's a whole um, it's a whole myriad of emotions especially <laughs> in the kid it's kind of it's almost like uh one of those things that's so if you Nobody really thinks about it, they just go along with it, but if you stop to think about it, like everything else, it's totally absurd. We cultivate this environment for children in which they're expected to believe that, you know, well, first of all, we're putting a giant plant uh, that goes to the ceiling in the house. We're gonna hang things on it. We're gonna cut it down. We're gonna cut it down, and we're gonna put it in our living room. Yeah. And then there's a, you know, person breaks into our house essentially in the middle of the night and leaves you things. Yeah and uh did you
0: believe in santa when you were oh, little uh,
2: no when i was uh when i was five years old i was a pretty good reader and i climbed up onto the bookshelf and pulled um the mother's encyclopedia off the shelf and okay. started reading about it and i remember in the same sitting i um read about different vac- vaccines okay I, re- I learned about what vaccines were and then i also learned about santa claus and I
0: Like Were t- you were you devastated? You were you like, oh, now I. Know. I was furious. Oh. I took the book
2: into my mom. I was like waving the book at her, like, explain this, you yeah. know. So, but it's so funny that you know, you you there's this kind of happy, sentimental, magical stuff happening, but then there's also this sort of. There's this cultivation of almost selfishness, <laughs> and then, yeah. It, it's, well, it's, it's like Coca-Cola
0: weird... created. Yeah holiday in a lot yeah. of ways, right? It's I love, don't get me wrong,
2: I'm, I'm a Christmas fanatic, but, uh, but it, it is funny to, if you think about certain aspects of it, It's um, it's a big sell. It's a pretty big thing to ask of somebody to buy into.
1: Early Christmas morning, sneaky as can be I creep across the carpet and I peek under the tree Pick out a gift from mom to me and bring it to my ear give it a little shimmy shake and what do i hear socks socks. this is the worst gift i ever got Do
2: you remember the first amazing gift that really rocked your world when you were little kid? I mean, it was the golden age of toys. In my opinion, it was the golden age of toys. Like, I was uh, right at the right age for Masters of the Universe, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Transformers, and Thundercats all were happening at the same time because Return of the Jedi was out. So, I was old enough, I was young enough to catch the last bit of Star Wars Toys, I was r- the beginning. I mean, I, I was in Toys R Us and I got the first, you know, run of Masters of the Universe. G.I. Joe's, I got G.I. Joe's. For, I mean, it was like the best. So getting, getting castles and getting uh, vehicles for all of those lines were like the best thing ever. But the most excited I ever got was a Game Boy. That was... Uh, more even than a Nintendo or, or an Atari or anything that came before it, I was just so stoked that I could play in the car. I could play Tetris in the car. Well, there's this song, you know,
0: Hey Skinny Santa, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of playing with the image of this Santa who's not fat enough for the holiday yet. <laughs> and he has to like, I love that he has to go to Chicago and eat all the deep dish, Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's, that... It's, it's so funny because you're like, and then he gets fatter and fatter, but he's still not quite
2: there. Yeah. Well, he gets at the very end, he gets there. But um, that song, uh, most of that song was written by our sax guy, Doug, who he had like 10 or 11 verses. And I was like, <laughs> "You I mean, it's this like song Leonard, can't, this Leonard isn't going to be, song. yeah, it's not going to be like a yes tune we gotta get this down to like three minutes so we ended up focusing on like music towns blues towns Chicago, Memphis and New New Orleans Orleans.
0: yeah Yeah. speaking of deep dish what
2: is your favorite town that you tour to food wise does it have to be in the United States no okay Um, San Sebastian uh, Donostia in in northern Spain so there's there's no you can't get anything bad there the, it's impossible.
0: I was in northern Spain twice this year. For some reason, the seafood up there is just—they don't even need to put anything on it. No,
2: it's incredible. It's just like lemon and salt, and like enjoy. I mean, it, it's it, the it's best. Uh, it's the best thing. Um, in the state, I mean, I have to say, my 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 diet has changed a lot. I'm on a vegan diet now, so I, I, I eat a lot of different things. Um, but overall, the South is still my favorite place to eat in the United States like I love vegan for environmental reasons or health reasons for health reasons and you know it's not gonna hurt to yeah to it's kind of good in a lot of ways but uh, yeah I I got some pretty serious health things I need to start paying attention to so um, some friends of mine doing the vegan diet and I kinda talked to them about it I was like I'm gonna try it and I've been doing it for a while now and I feel fantastic and it's a little tough on the road from time to time but uh, yeah, it's, it's going okay. In between the major cities can probably be challenging. Yeah, um, it's when you hit the Costco and you buy a whole bunch of rice and a whole bunch of lentils and make batches and sustain yourself. Speaking of your
0: bus breaking down, is there a particularly harrowing road trip that you've been on recently on a tour?
2: Our first bus tour was... Uh, was really bad we we left nashville in like one of the worst ice storms the bus broke down because i don't even know how it happened but something froze under the bus and it wouldn't shift or something i don't know how how it worked but uh we ended up getting to the first gig in time to uh load in right after the opener was finished so we loaded in after the f- the opener was done we set up and just started playing and uh but that weather on that whole trip was really bad some of those Mountain passes in Colorado Oh man Are just yeah. white knuckle man.
1: Well our
2: drummer and tour manager drove uh, a van with all of our gear up to Seattle to start the tour So they had to go through Utah and Colorado and stuff And it was pretty, pretty hairy
0: Did you get any tornadoes down in Oklahoma growing up?
2: Well in the month of May pretty much every day Every day? Pretty much yeah um, especially if you live in the central part of Oklahoma if you live in Oklahoma City or, or Moore the town of Moore has been wiped off the face of the earth I don't even know how many times I mean it's just uh, it's, it's insane like wh- when I was first starting to tour my, my wife and our little girls we were in Broken Arrow I had a, a tornado shelter put in our garage mm. where it's like underground and you like it's under a car and you climb down inside it and right. pull, pull the lid over you and I'd be on the road, and I never really thought about it that much until uh, we got the the shelter. I would get a call almost every day saying, we're in the shelter, we're in the shelter. Jesus. Yeah, it's a crazy way to live.
0: It definitely makes you think about luck and your place in the universe, you know, like yeah. if you were 10 minutes away at the wrong time. I know? will
2: say if the, inter- if the universe is indifferent, it's at least conniving. <laughs>
0: What did, where did that song Lucky Penny come from?
2: Uh, I had that little riff That little uh, riff But I had um, It was a
0: ha- headbanger man
2: Well it was just uh, It was just played Like on a Well I've got a guitar here Just a <laughs> See so it just sounded like that I hadn't run the fuzz pedal Through it yet And I played it for a couple Of different producers And yeah. nobody ever was like Yeah But I got the fuzz pedal And once that was on it It became a thing And I was like Okay we gotta follow this through
0: Trouble finds me no matter where I run. Do you think that people have luck or bad luck in
2: their blood? Or is it something that you no. create? No, there's, there is an infinite number of decisions that you make or don't make. And things just happen. <laughs> you consider yourself a lucky person? Well, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, any anyone that is able to have a vocation and an avocation is lucky. But when you can combine those two things, that's that's winning. You know what I mean? I mean, I'd, I would do it. I'd still be doing it for free. You know, I would, did it forever for free. And just to, in the middle of my 30s, suddenly be gifted this thing that I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. super, super grateful. I don't know if I can say it's luck or what, but I I am grateful. What do your kids think about you playing music? They're just so used to everything. They don't, you know, they do get excited if they hear something in a restaurant or for in a store. They get really excited about that because then it's like, oh, you know, they don't see me like stressing out packing and all that kind of stuff. Tell me about uh, recording in uh, RCA
0: Studio B in Nashville and making a undivided heart and soul
2: well that's a that was a series of unfortunate events that ended up being ended up being really wonderful because we were trying to make the record I hadn't finished writing it I had a producer that was signed on That was a really like a big producer I won't say who it was but um, Rick Rubin it wasn't Rick Rubin but we got in there yeah and after day one that producer canceled oh, canceled man. the whole session wanted to use all different musicians and um, just wasn't feeling it so uh, it basically blew through our whole budget because we had booked lodging and all this kind of stuff for everybody not everybody lived in town yet so I was like trying to figure out what we were going to do how we were going to do it and a buddy of mine that was engineering the record just said hey why don't we just ask Studio B because they're a museum maybe we can record a couple of songs there and ended up I think what happened was I had just played a, a like a gratis performance for um, the Country Music Hall of Fame, so maybe somebody there still remembered my name because um, they said yes, you could you can use it. And when we went in there, we were only supposed to be able to do like three songs, and there were certain rules we had to go by. First of all, you had to record at night. Second of all, you had to get a Hall of Famer to be on the record. Like they have these kind of mm, rules, and uh, which I was cool with all of that. But once we got there, the studio manager was like, "Let's just do a whole record. We're kind of bored," because <laughs> yeah. it's a museum. There's muse- its museum tours all morning. I mean, it's and... an
0: incredible confluence of sounds in this record that I think really gelled, you know, in your sound, you know. And and how did how did uh, Dan Moled from Lucius end up being involved?
2: Needed somebody to come in and and be a moderator somebody needed to be in there to kind of save me from myself and if i was going with an idea to get me back on track if i was like not going to pursue that idea because it was scared that it wasn't going to sound like what we always sounded like that was a big thing for me to wrestle with was you know some of these things are coming out kind of loud and um i needed somebody there to to, and i trust dan implicitly he's like a musical brother and just um, he was far out aside enough to where he could be objective and be like I don't care what you think this sounds yeah. cool like you know we're doing this and uh, it worked out great we we went hard and fast and we were loading in every night tearing down every night because they had tours the next day mm-hmm. but uh, it was a whirlwind but man I wouldn't trade it for anything
0: I want to talk about one last song uh, and then we'll let you go here because I you know you're playing across the street um Crying's just a thing that you do. Uh-huh. You know, again, it kind of goes back to this thing that I'm seeing in your music of it sounds real upbeat and fun, and it's got that tinkling piano going on, and then it's talking about the danger of telling every stranger and sinister, something sinister in your blood, mm-hmm. and, like, hell is like a flood, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's these almost biblical darkness
2: mm-hmm. hovering over the party. You're going to laugh when you find out what that song is about. <clears throat> I always had a crush on Lilith from Cheers and Frasier like, uh-huh. when I was a kid. That, that was my big, big crush. Niles's wife? No, that's Maris. You never see oh, Mar- Maris. Yeah, right, right, right. It was Frasier's ex-wife. Okay. B.B. New played her. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that is
0: a really specific crush. Yeah,
2: yeah, I have them. I get them. <laughs> uh, but she was uh, this almost like emotionless. Wore black a lot. Yeah. Uh, had her hair in a in a bun. Kind yeah. of a librarian. Uh, uh-huh. She was a, she was a psychiatrist in show. But I always just thought about what it must be like to be with <laughs> someone who cannot be consoled. Um. You know, so that's whole song... I wrote that song with Butch Walker. I was like, man, I'd like to do this song about... Um, Can never be satisfied. Yeah. I, you know, I've always sort of been... Found myself in relationships with people that are um, tough to... Tough, you know, difficult. Like, I, I seem to be drawn to difficult. Not anymore. My wife is great. But, like, in the past, I always found myself drawn into being with difficult people. <laughs> and so, yeah, that song was... I just pictured, I just pictured Lilith, and wrote wrote to that character, and that's what that was about. <laughs> Christmas wish to the world right now will it be? Okay, so maybe I don't want to say world peace because that's what I really want. But I I want—I'll tell you what—I really wish that everybody could travel more. Mm. I wish that everyone had more of an opportunity to to go other places, even if it was just 150, 200 miles away, because nothing has expanded my worldview. Nothing has improved my life, my quality of life, and how I feel about other people. Than traveling and seeing other people's lives, um, everyone is essentially the same. And uh, you know, you once you actually meet people that are different from yourself, it really grants you the the opportunity to look at yourself and what other people might think about you too. So I don't know. I think that if everyone would could could see a little bit more, travel a little bit more, meet people who aren't necessarily from the same walk of life they are from that would make the world a lot better of a place
0: if you could throw your own music festival in any place you've ever been maybe in San
2: Sebastian in Spain where would it be i'd love to i'd love to have a festival in fact i've thought it i've looked into it a couple of times i'd love to have a festival near Pawhuska Oklahoma near where the Osage Nation is mm. um, because I grew up in Oklahoma, and it's like the largest per capita population of Native Americans, and to a lot of people, Native American people are, they're either invisible, or they're some kind of fantasy. Or an object of pity, or poverty. Or, or, or is some kind of magical thing. Yeah. And growing up in that way, it's such an important thing that Americans know about um, Indigenous people. Hmm. They really need to know hmm. about them, and... So I always thought it would be really great to have a really eclectic festival, sort of like what Picathon is up in Oregon, but in Pawhuska, Oklahoma, mm. the seat of the Osage Nation, mm. and in and have the Osage tribe be a part of it, help run it, you know, just to have, just for people to kind of know that it's there. That, I don't know. That's something I've thought about. Who would be the first five people you would book on your music festival? I'd, I'd love to have Marty Stewart's band there. Um, the Superlatives. Yeah, the fabulous Superlatives are is like an incredible band. I'd love to book X. Mm. Um DJ Bonebreak. Yeah, DJ Bonebreak. He hangs around here. Really? Um I'd love to have Ken Booth. Is a Jamaican soul singer. He's mm. like my, one of my favorite singers. I'd love to have Irma Thomas. Mm. Um, stiff Little Fingers. I don't know. I'm just naming bands that I I haven't made that list, but it'd be really eclectic. Um, it'd be a little pinch of everything and it wouldn't be based on whether someone had a record out or Mm. just what, what is the best evening of music I could possibly summon up. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Maybe it'll happen one day.
0: Would you like to take us out with a song?
2: Yeah. I think this is one I can do. Um, Oh, look, a guitar up here. I, I I think this is one I can do um, by myself. I haven't done much of this. Well, what's it called? Uh, Ugly Sweater Blues. On the
0: world's greatest modern Christmas album, Socks. Thank you,
2: buddy. Appreciate this.
1: sweater blue. Another year, another sweater, and another holiday soiree. Mama hears the people laughing while the presents are unwrapping. She's not even sorry. Mama, don't make If I refuse, I'm singing these ugly sweater blues. Driving to Atlanta for an interview with Santa, I can hear him say, Hey, that kid is back again, and dig his ugly cardigan. Oh, what a shame! Mama, don't make Bright red with sleigh bells and a gingerbread man, corduroys and pointy shoes, I'm singing these ugly sweater brews, done paid all my dues, I'm singing these ugly sweater brews.
0: There he goes now, Mr. J.D. McPherson. You can go to jdmcpherson.com for his music and his tour dates. His Christmas socks tour is rolling through America. There's only a few dates left. Chicago, Minneapolis, and finishing in Nashville on the 22nd of December at the Basement East. If you hop over to thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll find that J.D. McPherson wrote a wonderful piece called Gig Bag, where he tells us what he needs on the road. Such as, is Muhammad Ali Jump Rope. My Gang Dust Bowl revival will have a rare month off, but that's really because it's the calm before the storm. The storm being our new record, which comes out at last January 31st on 30 Tigers. It will be called, Is It You, Is It Me? And there are three singles already available, Runaway, Mirror, and Enemy. If you followed along our journey through the 10 years plus that we've been together, you will be astounded by what you hear in these songs. Does it feel like an entire symphony orchestra and a choir are accompanying us every song? It kinda does. January 29th, we launch our record release tour at the Sinclair in Boston, and we are playing some bucket list venues on this one, guys. February 7th at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., February 8th at the Paramount Theater in Bristol, Tennessee, and on the West Coast. February 20th at one of my favorite places on Earth, Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, and February 28th at the Fillmore in San Francisco and home at the Troubadour in L.A., February 29th. I hope to see you on the Leap Day. Last but not least, I would like to tell you about a couple podcasts that have been put out by wonderful artists that I've talked to on this show, like B. Beeman. One year ago, he released innovative concept record podcast called Peace of Mind. He talks to intellectuals and authors and scientists and activists and he integrates his songs piece by piece throughout the podcast. Also, if you listen to our episode with Chris Shiflet, the lead guitar player from the Foo Fighters a few months back, you'll know that he has a podcast called Walking the Floor. And if you want to know what the rock and roll star lifestyle is really like, listen to Chris, he knows what's up. Okay, one last thing. It's the holidays, everybody's buying Christmas presents and Hanukkah presents like crazy. Do me a favor, instead of maybe buying one more thing from the corporate behemoths, support your local bands and your local artists. If you go to DustBowlRevival.com, you'll see that we have really cool limited edition Violet Vinyl and the bundles that go with it with t-shirts and posters. There's all sorts of fun stuff coming your way. Support bands. They need your help. And it'll make you feel great. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupitan, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the BluegrassSituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the
1: trail.